0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: Hello, friend. Feels like it's been a long time since we've seen each other. I'm having a little separation anxiety. (laughs) I even miss our friendly uh, fashion competition.
0: I mean, first of all, dude, we just saw each other like, what, two days ago, three (laughs) days ago. (laughs) So this separation anxiety must be very severe because I just saw your face.
1: You did. And all of my fashion glories, too. And I just saw yours. Um, Man, we had a time. Uh, you know, I always we had
0: a time in these streets, and I am I am feeling
1: it. <laughs> listen, you know, I always have the best time at Shay Jonathan's. My own room, bathroom, stocked bar. Uh, so I miss it when I come home and have to share a bedroom and a bathroom. <laughs>
0: Well, you know what, Didi, Dee Dee, funny enough though, you, you know, you forgot to actually properly check out your room. Oh, um, There's a mean? there's there's a balance in the folio for <laughs> Shay Jonathan that you need to do. You you went over your per diem rate. You went <laughs> over no, y'all out of house and home. <laughs> you didn't you didn't you didn't tip the maid. You did <laughs> Oh, and you have a balance, honey. So you need to, uh, my people will be reaching out to your people.
1: And they it's <laughs> like getting that payment, but man, we were in the streets celebrating all the events for us and by us and John Gist. I know. I know. It that that was, was,
0: it was a, it was a fun time. And, and it was a, one of my favorite times of the year because it's, The NAACP Image Awards, it's ABFF Honors, it's the AFCO Awards, it's the (laughs) Icon Man Dinner. I mean, and it was a great time because we were celebrating the Woman King and our fabulous, amazing, talented director, Gina Prince-Bipewood. So it was a special time for me, too.
1: Oh, I love that. And, you know, I love the Woman King and Gina is an icon
0: Icon and her and her name is Gina Prince Bythewood, not the lady director. For those who don't,
1: correct. Don't. Know.
0: And if you, if you know what I'm referring to, Entertainment Weekly, you know, know what I'm referring you know.
1: to. If you know, <laughs> you know. But that's the one thing we can say is we take care of our
0: own, don't we? We sure do. We sure. <laughs> we, we we see each other and we celebrate each other and. I I love that about us.
1: Yes, um and man was it an honor to be at the Essence Black Women at a Hollywood luncheon with you. Mm, See the yes. fabulous new CEO CMO Erica Bennett uh yes. shining and so many of our other faves.
0: I mean, I that's like the best room. I love First of all, I, lo- I love Black women. So let me just first say that. Thank you. Um and I just love just being there to celebrate to lead the Watkins yes. and uh Nicole Denson Randolph. Yes. I saw Megan Good. I saw our 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 little our mentees, Shantavia Ross, and Shardae Jenkins. And it's just such a it's such a beautiful, beautiful oh, woman. Britney oh. Brittany, yeah, Rogers. It just I saw my girl Lena and I saw Melina Matsukas, who I haven't seen in years. And I was so lit up and excited the to thing. see her. Slip. I I was so happy. So it's just an all-around. Um beautiful room of just beautiful black women, beautiful, black, talented, immensely talented, intelligent, stylish. I mean, I can keep going. It just, it's just, it feels me um to be in that room. So it was just it was beautiful.
1: Me too. And of course, that annual Oscar Macro party. I mean, we did uh, that day. Good God.
0: Good God. <laughs> <laughs> Didi, I how do we do it? I understand. <laughs> it's just like back to back, back to back.
1: We're paying for it, but it's so fun. I love this time of year too. Not to mention yes. we need to get dressed up and and sparkle and you know drink a little champipple. so a little or a lot.
0: A little or a lot, right? And so shout out to Stacy and Charles King for that that, out, that out. annual macro party because it's for just, bringing
1: us together.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was it's amazing as always, Didi. So wait, so we we as we're talking about this, what was your favorite? look of the week from that you did. You did so many. I think I know what it is, but which one was your favorite? Ooh,
1: one? John. Well, I have to say it was it was the leather suit. The suit. Oh. Yes, I know surprise surprise. It was the black leather suit cuz I wore color all week. Um mm-hmm. black leather suit that I uh I think you approved of. It was all uh, that
0: vintage. was a favorite. That was yeah, definitely was a favorite.
1: All mostly vintage, except for the mm. fabulous shirt blouse that you gave me that I finally figured out how to rock. But yeah, and I, it
0: worked. I love that purple. I thought you were going to say the purple dress and the boot. That was so cute. Thank
1: you.
0: I and it was the me. it was the um, the color blocking for me. I just thought it was like these two colors coming together and. You don't expect it, but then it works and it's like, oh, wow. I, I love not expect it.
1: it either. I don't know how that came together. I still haven't unpacked the majority of my stuff from the panty uh yeah <laughs> so get <laughs> uh that was uh also vintage the dress but i, I listen you i appreciate that coming from you because you may or you may have outdone me a little with that uh rhinestone epaulette jacket oh my god it was something oh
0: oh Didi, yeah uh, that was my favorite piece of the week definitely okay. shout out to the show must go on which i rented it from
1: yes. um because
0: they they um they were, they were been great to me over the past few weeks. So, uh, if you have, if you don't know, Google them and they are amazing. I write here in LA in Hollywood. So, if you need any fashions, they will write some cute pieces to you. Oh my God. Um, but it was a good time. I love dressing up. I don't want to dress up again for quite some time, P.S. But it was, it was great <laughs> to do it for uh, a good two week period because it was this non stop, non stop.
1: Non stop. Well, I'll tell you what, we, Just love celebrating each other and being together and creating community. And our next guest, I mean, has doing it, doing it in such a major and impactful way. We have the incomparable young, young legend Imani Ellis with us today.
0: Imani is the GOAT. We love her. She literally is the epitome of forest bias and she is killing it. And I, I love her and you know, we've both known her for some quite time now and I'm so happy to finally be able to talk to her on the podcast. Cause I just feel like I want to really unpack this, her story, the why, the beginning, the middle, the end. Like I want to do it all with her because she's, she's so fantastic.
1: She's so fantastic. And not for nothing, her style is on point too. She slays a look, Oh, I love it. So we are so excited to welcome the incomparable and young legend Imani Ellis, who is the CEO and founder of the Creative Collective NYC and founder of CultureCon, a community dedicated to facilitating brave spaces for black and brown creatives. Born in Imani's one-bedroom apartment in New York City as a means to foster meaningful connection, the CCNYC has since parlayed into the fastest-growing community devoted to creatives of color. The CCNYC's marquee event is CultureCon, a conference celebrating the impact diverse voices have on culture. Past speakers include Tracy Ellis Ross, Regina King, Spike Lee, Lena Waithe, Jay Ellis, who I took to CultureCon last year for Top Gun Maverick, and more. Imani has been recognized by Forbes as a visionary and one to watch by Black Enterprise. Imani graduated from Vanderbilt University with a major in communications and a double minor in German in film. I cannot wait to find out more about that double minor. Welcome, Imani. Imani Imani Imani, Money, Imani. Okay. Hey. welcome
2: ah, thank you I'm so excited
0: how are you today
2: Uh, oh, it is well with my soul I am in Atlanta the sun is shining it's a good day
0: how's, how's the weather in Atlanta right now is it giving like spring is it giving like so a little winter fall what's the it's, given
2: we call it Fake pump spring, so we it's like warm, but we know the cold is coming. It's like not real.
0: Got it. Okay. As I'm, I'm preparing to pack, so I need to get what I need. I just pack everything pretty much. Got everything. it. everything Sweater, neck, shorts, everything. Shorts, flip flops, all the things. Um, Imani, thank you so much. We're so excited to have you on Black on the Scene. Uh, we are. This is our fourth season, which is crazy to say out loud. Um, but we're we're honored and so happy to have you. And as we always bring up to our guests, I want to start I want to go back to the beginning of Imani Ellis growing up as a young girl, and I want to talk about who was that young girl, right? I, I read: "Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um but the bag did feel a little light.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba
0: that you wanted to be a ballerina. Yeah. Uh, and I want to talk about like, what was your, your childhood like and who were you? What were you watching? Anything that you ever see yourself on screen and say, I want to do this. Like, what was your, your journey like as a young girl?
2: Yeah, I mean, growing up, my childhood was filled with like imagination. And so I really got to be a kid. I have two sisters and a little brother and my sisters and I are like stair steps. So we're all a year apart so i had built in best friends and built in like dance partners and we loved like disney channel disney movies we put like on plays in our backyard and i really just had like big imagination our parents allowed us just to kind of explore i would wear blankets on my head with headbands like i was rapunzel like i really just loved to like dream and As you mentioned, I loved ballet. So I got into ballet and it was pretty intense. Um, I did ballet for 12 years and we're not talking like once a week, like we were doing it five days a week and on the weekends. Um, My mom was driving up and down the highway to take me to ballet classes. And my plan was to go to Juilliard, be a prima ballerina, like the whole enchilada. Um, and it was, it was really exciting, but I, I went to Juilliard and I kind of saw the intensity and I saw, you know, wow, like this is going to be kind of all of my twenties and I just pivoted a little bit. I, you know, I kind of took a step back and was like, maybe not ballerina, but yeah, I, I loved my childhood. I think it definitely created the foundation of like the dreamer that I, that
1: I am. Since you're such a big community builder and connector, as you're, I mean, you have siblings and ballet is a community. Were you noticing that there were a lot or not a lot of ballerinas of color? How did you come to foster this connection and wanting to connect and see black creatives, black and brown creatives, grow, did, did being a ballerina have a, a, a part in that?
2: You know, it's so interesting because when you look back i I love the through lines that you can find i wouldn't say i would honestly say being the daughter of two preachers probably was the seed of community because we were going to bible study we were going to church we were going to bible camp we were moving all around and i think i started to just gravitate towards that warm feeling of walking into a space and being familiar with other people there um As a ballerina, I actually was pretty, like, I wouldn't say shy, but I was very, like, work. Like, ballet was not, like, friend time. It was, like, pretty intense time. And so I think that actually was where I get my self-discipline from is the ballet portion. And I think I got the community from, like, the church and my neighborhood. And those two worlds were a little bit, I would say, separated.
1: Such an interesting like connection, which I definitely don't think I've read in in some of the amazing press that you've been uh, been getting deservedly. Um, talk to us a little about that. So you pivot, you end up at Vanderbilt, which one of the best schools in the country. Talk to us about getting there and you're majoring in communications and German and film.
2: Oh my gosh. When you hear it back, it's like, girl, what? But it all made sense. I So I quit ballet when I was a junior in high school, just like that. My mom was like, all right, time to go. And I said, mom, I don't want to do it anymore. I knew. My body said, you don't want to do this anymore. And just like that, she said, okay, You're going to have to go tell, you know, the dean. And I told her, and I was resolved. I did not regret it. Um, Ballet had been so important to me, and I had been the first black ballerina to play, you know, um, Clara and the Nutcracker, but it was time to move on. And so just like that, I go to lunch, and my friend Ashley said, I'm going to track tryouts. They give you per diem. And I said, what's a per diem? And she's like, they give you money, girl. And I said, "What?" She said, yes, you get to go all across the state, and when you go out, you know, overnight, they give you a $50 per diem. And to a 16-year-old, that's a lot of money. And that was what inspired me to start running track. I wish I could say I wanted to be an Olympian. I wish I could say it was the grit. It was the $50 per diem. And that day I tried out for the varsity track team. I made varsity because of my ballet endurance. I became a hustler and I ended up going on to state our team. You know, we won state three years in a row and I still have my high school track record like to this day, like which is what like. And all of this snowballed into getting a track scholarship at Vanderbilt. And so when I look back at my life, like God absolutely was painting this script because it just, the the transferable skills from ballet to track is what set me up for success to end up getting this this college scholarship um, at at Vanderbilt. And so while I was there, I majored in communications because I just love to talk. And I minored in German, like you mentioned, because my best friend in high school, her mom was the German teacher. So when I would go over their house, they'd be speaking German. And so I started to learn German and then I ended up minoring in it in, in school.
0: Wow. So wow. It. First of all,
1: what did you do with that money? Because I have a feeling that you're going to give us a money lesson today, too. So what did you do with your $50 purchase? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I
2: bought, like, earrings at Claire's. Like, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: completely blew it. <laughs> you blew it. <laughs> <laughs> Dee I blew it. it. And Claire's was a thing back then. So you could go to $50, you bought like 20 pairs of earrings ready. I was balling out at Claire's. I was balling <laughs> out. So, so as when you're in Vanderbilt, you, you're majoring in communication, and you said you, you just did it because you like to talk. Did you know exactly what you were going to do with that degree? Did you have a directional like I? I majored in communications too, and so I. I had no, I had no idea what this is crazy the trifecta of communications. Um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do until I started taking classes. Uh, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this because I like to talk. I like to like it, that. Literally was the same thing I said and. Um, it's so much deeper than that, obviously. And so as I started to do it, I learned about PR and marketing and all these other things, I was like, oh, I can make a career out of this. But did you know what you wanted to do or what direction you wanted to go in as you were making that major?
2: Not I was similar to you, not really. I knew I wanted to work in entertainment, I knew I wanted a career where I could be where the people were that was fast paced. But I didn't really have insight to all of the opportunities. You know, that was going to come later. But at the time, I was like, my dad always says, and this is something I'll, I'll use forever, is like, from something to something. Like, you just need to know your next big step, even if you don't know everything. And so I was like, from high school to something, and that something looks like communications. But it wasn't until I started interning, to your point, that I kind of realized is that a talent agent? That's what I thought. I wanted to be a talent agent, so I went to CAA, and I was like, "I'm going to be a talent agent." And my mentor there, Ik, who's now at WME, was like, "You should be a publicist." And he changed my life. I did not. I had never <laughs> heard of a publicist before. Yeah. And so that yeah. was kind of how I, you know, kept going.
0: I love that. So. Vanderbilt Communications, You thought you were going to be a, a, a agent, so you started working at CA, which I love. But you kind of uh, are
1: because you bring talent right. together. Like, girl, it is. I yeah, it's
0: me. all. I it's see all. See it. it's, it's so crazy. So, so your first internship as a as in the PR world was that at NBC?
1: No,
2: my first internship, y'all. I got so scrappy. So, I, my first internship was in like the talent and casting department at Nickelodeon. And from there, I was like, oh, I actually think I don't want to be a casting director. I want to be an agent. So then I went to CAA. And that's what he said, publicist, I ended up going back to Nashville and interning at this really small boutique PR firm called Hot Shots PR. And the perk of it was you got to go to the red carpet for the country music awards. So I was like, yes. So that was my first introduction into PR. I actually never even interned at NBC. I just was a page there and ended up getting a job but um, I I never got an internship at NBC I like literally interned everywhere else except for NBC.
1: Well I love that you're so intentional about the internships cuz Honestly, I'm older than you guys and it
0: wasn't something... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's, thing
1: that I that was really stressed back then, and I love again, I can see it in the work that you're doing now, how it's all connected. And as you're doing these internships, you're obviously a hard worker, you know the value of probably time man, like time management. Um, you are, were you at CAA in LA? New York, New York. So New York was on your radar. Talk to us about sort of being on your own from this close knit preacher, your close knit preacher kid family and how you're navigating the the city, how you're navigating. I'm living in New York. I've got to figure this out. Managing your finances, time, et cetera, et cetera.
0: And, and then, too, like, yeah, like, to your point, dude, about the finances, like, New York's expensive, you're just entering. I've heard all the the horror, not horror stories, but just horror, the challenges horror of... stories for people. <laughs> um, but just at CAA, you know, working in the mailroom and working your way up and all these kind of things. So, like, how were you, like, surviving?
2: Yeah. I mean, new again, it goes back to, like, my love for, like, musicals and Disney. I romanticized so many things that I look back and I'm like, girl, but, like coming from Atlanta, New York represented so much to me. Like it just represented an even playing field. I knew that I was competitive. I knew I was smart. I knew that I could like read a room and I just felt inside If I just had the chance. I really, that's how I approached New York. My first summer in New York, I stayed in a dormitory, a college dorm that had no air conditioning and It was so hot that at night, like at 1 a.m., people would just, there was only one floor that had air conditioning, the break room on the third floor. We would drag our pillows and comforters to the third floor. I was on the 10th floor and sleep on the ground because it was just so hot. I look back and that had to have happened my first summer because I was like, New York. But that's crazy. I mean, that's insane. But I was, I was really conscious of my budget. I got a job um, at Abercrombie and I was like working because I had worked there in in high school. So I could already just apply at a new location. And I was saving all of my coins for like, you know, the like little kind of croissant sandwiches you get at like Whole Foods or a bodega. Um, But I was really grateful. Like I really felt this kind of like, I felt like the stakes were so high. And as I look back being so young and kind of realizing that these were going to set me up for like a future, I don't know how I felt that, but I just, maybe it's because I'm the oldest of four and I just felt like I had something to prove. But I, there were times where, when they would bring in food to the break room that was my lunch. Like That was what I ate was whatever they brought into the break room because I didn't have a lot of money. And so I just wanted my parents to be proud of me. They had made a big investment. They paid for the dorm. I needed to pay for my food. And so I just didn't want it to all be in vain. And so I just like hustled um, when I was there and I look back and I always had something to eat. So I, I
1: don't know. I gotta tell you, I was doing that when I moved to New York. I was 32. And I was probably making, wait, 66000 No, I actually quit my job, moved to New York when I was 32, right after the 9-11 attacks. And it's so funny because when I think about everything that you're saying, like I had a fourth floor walk up with the bathtub in the kitchen and... Anytime there were those lunch and learns, I was like, let me get this food so I can have lunch or New York makes you so scrappy. Not that not living in New York doesn't make you scrappy, John, but we are a special breed, right? It's just, it makes you figure things out. It really does. Even the pace, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Okay. And but you wait. You know what though, Didi. Um, just saying that because I I know that it does do that. But I think for me, like actually hearing this conversation, I was actually fearful of that. Like fearful of the scrappiness because I didn't know if I was going to be able to to survive in the scrappiness because I wasn't. I didn't grow up that way. I always gave, grew up. Everything was was. It wasn't hard. It wasn't a struggle to get anything. Like to to walk out the apartment in New York is a is a struggle. So it's like I knew for me, I wasn't going to be able to like. To do that, and I was like, I, I think that was like a fear of mine. So, like, I love hearing these stories of you two, of like you guys endure the scrappiness and look at you now. And I think for me, it's like I want the easy, I want the easy walk, and LA was the easier walk for me.
2: Mm-hmm. And see, that's interesting that you say that because for new, I, what I my pros and cons, I looked at LA and I said I need a car to live there, like, and that to me was a huge barrier of entry was that car because yeah. in LA, it, in my mind what I perceived was that it was harder to like fake it in LA. Like you couldn't pretend you had a car, but in New York, even the CEO rode the subway. So in my mind, I was like, it's like, we're all kind of roughing it out together. Like, <laughs> but I, but that's interesting how you how keep different people perceive barriers of entry. Cause you know, you're thinking scrappiness and grit, which is so true. And in my 18 year old mind, I was like, LA I have no money. It's going to show a lot easier in LA that I have no money than in New York. We're all living like this, but that's, yeah, that's so interesting to, to, to hear like the, the reverse side of it.
1: Oh, I always say New York is the most expensive, but the best city to not have any money because there's so many, I had God only knows how many jobs and just being able to figure things out and you can get those like $2 and 50 cent or $3 sandwiches or a dollar slice of pizza. And, and there's tons of free events, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, so Imani, you get to NBC and Mm -hmm. it's obvious by our conversation that. And I don't know that you would have called yourself this at a young age and you're still so young, but it's obvious you're a visionary, right? Or mm. you're super tapped into your intuition. You started in BC, do you immediately say, all right, I'm going to be a VP in less than 10 years. I've got this path, did you did you map it all out or was it more intuitive, organic? How, talk to us about that, that process and that journey.
2: Yeah, when I got to New York City, I was so excited to be in the page program. I knew if I can just get into the page program, like my life is gonna change. Again, maybe it's the drama class. I had very, I had very definitive statements in my life. Like I just like decide. And so I decided if I get into the page program, my life is gonna change. And so I got into the page program and instantly I was overwhelmed because John and Dee Dee, those personalities, it breeds. Um, excellence, and type A, and commands the room, and I'm loud, and I'm not the loudest person in the room. And instantly, I was like, how I've met my true matches. Like, these are truly the best in entertainment, and can I really compete with this caliber of person? And so, I actually got to New York and didn't feel very confident at all. I felt like a very little fish in a very big pond. And I was coming from a place where I was class president and I broke the state record and I went to Vanderbilt. And suddenly in New York City, none of those things, it was like, okay, we all did that. What else? And so what I decided I was going to do was I wasn't going to be the loudest in the room. I was going to be the best listener. I was going to go to every informational. I was going to learn from everyone and I was going to just humble myself and and be a page, like not above it. And so what that looked like was I every week they would have these like meet meet someone at NBC. And sometimes it was like the head of casting at SNL, full room. But sometimes it was like meet the head of like HR at a cable network. And I went to every single one, like every single one. And on this dreary Tuesday that's raining, it was like meet the head of HR of a cable network and it was like normally a huge conference room this one maybe the rsvps were light there were only like 10 people there but who am i to, like who am i to not go to this lunch and learn so i went and i still remember his name was ralph nader and he's talking about his career and at the end of it he said oh by the way i'm hiring for this coordinator role at bravo if any of you like bravo and my head whipped around so fast. I said, wait, like Bravo, like like Andy Cohen? He was like, yeah. And I said, I'll interview. Bravo was my favorite network. And so he said, okay, give me your resume. And the next day, the next day, I had seven interviews with the Bravo team. And I got hired to be a coordinator. And the irony was... Here I was freaking out because the page program is a one-year program. Like, you're supposed to go through a rotation. You're supposed to go through different parts of the company. I was what you're called a baby page. So I was, i had only been a page for two months.
0: Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to
1: Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.
2: I hadn't even been old enough to qualify for a rotation, and yet I was interviewing for a job. And so it just showed me that you really can show up as yourself. And what's meant for you is going to find you, like it will find you where you are. And I think that's when I really started to understand that like, I didn't have to like, be the loudest person, I just had to like, one step at a time. And that was how you know, I got my my first my first job, my first real job
0: if that's not the drop the mic moment, like I love that Imani. Imani.
1: and I am taking notes over here because this is so applicable to life now. It really is. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, wait, this is a good way to just approach any new situation from a place of reverence and, and, and just being humble and curious. Not to I mean obviously hardworking and 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 creative, but oh I'm so inspired right now. Wow.
0: I'm curious too, Imani, do you out throughout your 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 time at NBC, did you and I because I kind of struggle with this a little bit early in my career as you're you're now you have this big full-time job. Did did imposter syndrome ever start to show up in any way throughout your your time there? Um oh, and or The notion of, and I think to your point about just showing up authentically as a Black woman, as a Black female from the South, from to Vanderbilt, like showing up into your true self, did you ever feel like you had to kind of code switch or, you know, were you you always looked at as the, the, you know, all things about Black women? You know what I mean? Like, did you ever feel like that was always a a kind of a a tug of war at times of you um, while you were in your professional career?
2: Yeah, it was definitely a journey. I think I learned corporate fluently, but I had to learn it. I did not I I don't come from entertainment. I come from parents who are preachers, so I don't know how to advocate for myself for a promotion and that you need to bring in all of your wins and that you need to say I would like to be promoted. Like I just thought, you know, you just work really hard and someone will eventually see you in the back room. And so a lot of it was learning and I was really fortunate to have really great mentors and I had a really great boss, like a woman who was like so big about like helping me learn without embarrassing me and showing me the way without like making me feel like I was, you know, inadequate, but, you know, also... There were definitely times, and I understand it feels like it makes sense, but there were times where I was teaching my team. So, you know, a black show would come, and they'd be like, "Okay, Imani, Imani, Imani," and I looked at my roster because at first, at first, at first, you're happy because you're like, "I could, I could pitch this to," come on. But I looked at my roster and I said, "Wait, wait, 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 I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this." I'm actually doing both myself and my team a disservice by doing this. I'm talking to the same reporters. I don't get to pitch variety or diversity there. And my team is not understanding that they need these relationships too. And so, again, this goes back to a great boss. During my one-on-one, I said, hey, I was looking at my roster And I really want to diversify it. I want to get into real estate. I want to get into late night. I want to do some housewives. I don't want to be the black publicist who just does black shows. And she said, great. I mean, again, so it's an ecosystem because you want to be able to advocate for yourself, but you also need to have someone who's receptive to that, who can be like, oh, my God, I didn't even, I'm so sorry. You know, and then there were spicier times where, Sometimes I surprise myself. I'd be like, girl. But there were times where, you know, it was a little bit more, you know, I remember I partnered with another publicist on a show. And there were like black cast members and white cast members on the show. And she's like, okay, so you take these reporters and I'll take these. And I looked at my list and it was like, you know, Essence, Ebony, Revolt, Shade Room. And I said to her before I a knee jerk reaction, I said, I'm not just talking to black reporters. You can talk to black reporters, too. And she's and first of all, she was like, oh, my God, because I don't think she again, she hadn't really clocked what she was actively doing and she said, I'm so sorry, that's my bad, of course. So again, you know what I mean? Like, it, it it takes people that are open to those kind of conversations. But whenever I would feel that ugh in my stomach, I, I had to say something because I just would look around and I'd say like, you know, it goes back to Esther in the Bible. Perhaps you were put here for a time such as this. If you don't say something like what, you know, you're doing a disservice to everyone in this space, so... Yeah, it was like ebbs and flows, I would say.
0: Well, and I can tell people respected that too—that you did that. Like that was that was one thousand percent. Because I'm also like I, I went on your LinkedIn and stalked your page again. I was like, Imani was getting promoted like every year, and so like I could see that you were you were you were doing the job and you were being seen in the right way. So you talking about how. You know, if you had that gut feeling to say something and speak up, and you did it, and obviously people respected that about you, and I and yeah. I, I want to commend you, I want to commend you for that.
2: I because they were able. I'm sorry, Didi. No, no, go ahead, love. I was just saying, I, yes, and I and I think they were able to really see that, and again, and this is before the summer of 2020, but they were able to see that diversity of thought and diversity of perspective is a good thing, and like I think again, that's why I go back to I'm so thankful to the leadership. Because I was learning how to use my voice. I was learning how to stand up for myself. And in those formative years, if I had been like gaslighted or shot down, I probably wouldn't have felt as confident to use it when I became a VP. But because it was like, oh, when I stand up for myself, things happen, then I felt empowered to keep kind of using that. And so I think that was such a big part of it was like, to your point, the respect that came from like sharing like a point of view.
1: I am curious to know if there were, because there always are, right, missteps. Anything that you, because I recently had a misstep in my job and I'm trying to figure out how to address it. I'm also trying to let go of this notion of you know, professional deity and perfectionism and not feeling like you can make a mistake or how you recover from it talk to us if there's an example about maybe a misstep or something that maybe didn't go as well as you had initially thought and then how you recovered for and I think this is so key for us to to illustrate because you've got an amazing story and amazing trajectory but certainly there were challenges yeah oh for sure
2: I made so many mistakes um My boss always said, it's totally fine to make mistakes. Just try not to make the same one twice. Like learn from it, like sit in it and own it. She always said, own it. Don't try to pass the buck. Um, I made so many mistakes. I mean, I remember when TMZ called and wanted a comment and I couldn't believe that the TMZ was on the phone and I didn't know that you're supposed to say on background or off the record. And so I just started talking to TMZ like we're old buddies and pals. And, you know, um, it was like quoted my name, um, my name that I said it, which is their right to do because I said it. Uh, But I was mortified because the article came out. And again, it wasn't even anything bad. It just was like not supposed to be attributed to a certain person um, because the story didn't call for that. And so I remember just being so embarrassed because I had just been promoted. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, are they going to regret My promotion because I'm making these kind of rookie mistakes. And so I called, they were able to update it to a spokesperson, you know, little things like that. But, you know, there were also like, you know, bigger mistakes. Like one time I was in charge of the summer party and I decided it should be on a rooftop. And three days before, the forecast said rain. And it was like the whole company was going to this party and talent was coming to this party. And I was sick by it. And again, I just remember in the moment, you know, I think it's just important to remind yourself to not believe the things you think when you make mistakes, because what'll start to happen is you'll start to embody the mistake. So instead of like, okay, you did something that wasn't great. You'll be like, you're not great. You're not smart. You're not, why did you even have this job? And I, no one, can punish me better than me. No one can think about it more than me. Like I'm going to think about that email forever. And what I was able to do over time is you start to recognize that everyone makes mistakes and that you want to emotionally detach from your work in a way that still try your best, but don't <laughs> don't believe those kind of like, you know, spirals
0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: When they start to happen, I used to have a post-it on my computer that said, spiral into control. Like, catch that spiral and pull it in. So if you need to leave for the day because you're not about to be productive, if you need to go outside, like Kelly Catrone said, if you've got to cry, go outside. All of those things, I think, are part of the human experience. It's just not like I think
1: internalizing that mistake uh, forever. I love that Kelly Catrone.
0: I love that, and mm-hmm. I loved
1: the show too. I'm I'm definitely was 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 a fan because I think it it it. That, and this is, I'm so dating myself. Was it Lizzie Grubman that had the, rea- yes, yeah. still, like, I'm totally dating myself. You guys are probably still in college <laughs> or you were even in high school, maybe Imani, but um, it's so funny that that had started to give PR this sort of luster, um, if you will, those, those reality TV shows. So. If John doesn't have another question,
0: well, I just want to say I just want to say one thing because I love I love the narrative around um, I'm always an advocate of normalizing mistakes um, because they happen and and we're, we're we have to yeah we have to and it's. And it's about it's about where you where do you go after the mistake, right? So what are you learning after mistake? You're not gonna go talk to TMZ again and just be kikiing with them on the phone. You learn from it. <laughs> and so it's about what that so okay, great. I'm not gonna make that same mistake and I'm gonna learn from it. I'm gonna move on. Like I'm not gonna I don't wanna beat myself up about it because I have mistakes too, we've all had.
1: And by the way, uh, your internships don't necessarily prepare you for some of those real life in the moment. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Moments
1: when you are like off the cuff, et cetera, et cetera. Only experience can do that. Yeah. Being in that yeah yes. Money. Yes. And you got to put a
2: timestamp on it because again, you don't want to move too pa- too fast past the mm-hmm. mistake.
0: You right.
2: Need to, you do need to intern, like, okay, what did we do and how are we not going Sit with it for
0: gonna, a minute. Sit right. with
2: it. But give mm-hmm. yourself a timestamp. So for me, it'd be like, okay, we're about to sit in this. Yep. that was mm, That was not great. We're going to sit with <laughs> this for two hours and then we got to let it go because- Everyone else has let it go, and you're still in the next meeting. Like, oh my gosh, what I did five hours ago, right? So, I I agree.
0: Yeah, I first of all, I think you, uh, Imani, if you haven't already, you need to be doing some TED talks, and you need yes, to be bro. doing like because you have so much
1: Imani-isms, oh. Imani,
0: Imani-ism. Imaniism, and just a, it's just a, just a really fantastic like narrative of, of, of a story of like just staying true to yourself. Your faith is so important to you. Uh, just the intention behind everything you do. And I want to nice. talk about the cre- the creative collective because CultureCon, that is, that is, I bow down to you because it's such, uh, the the foundation of what it is and what it represents is so important. And just for me, uh, as a young executive, if this would have been around 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know what I mean? If I was able to go in a room and see, hear Spike Lee talking or Issa Rae talking and Lena Wave talking like I, Charles King talking. It's just it will be a, it's a game changer. And the fact that you're building that um, that space for for black and brown communities is important. But I want to I want to dive into that and a give you again, give you all the praise and kudos for it because it's amazing. But I want to talk about like the moment that it was birthed in your one bedroom apartment. What was that spark? What was that like? I'm going to do this. Do you remember? I, like
2: I do, but I did not dream of this. I mean, my, my dream, and I'm kind of going to go back to where you started. I told my best friend Nabila, I said, I'm going to be a VP by the time I'm 30. That was as far as my dreams went. I did not see beyond that dream. And that's why I think it's so great because God will give you the desires of your heart because I didn't really think about my personal life in that, or like my social life, all, that, that was the only thing I said out loud. And so what was happening was I was loving my corporate role, my job, I loved it. But I also was like, where's like my community? Like I had my subset of friends, but like, where was the space? I guess I was searching for the community I had when I was a child, where you could walk into a space and like you said, just feel seen. Um, and I loved going to conferences and I loved learning. But what was happening was when I would run to like the one conference about diversity at the end of the day, there's like one person at the end of the pan. It just was not right. And it wasn't a representation of the world that I saw and the talented people that I saw. And so I just thought we're going to start with these little small kind of like um, potlucks at my house and it'll just be a space where you can come. And the prompt was, you know, what are you working on? And purposefully, I didn't say, what are you working on at work or what are you working on at home? It was just, what are you working on? And whatever came out of your heart was what you said. So some people were like, I'm working on getting out of, you know, getting over this relationship. You know, we were together for four years or I'm working on getting the courage to ask for a promotion. And so that's how it started. And it was going to be one thing, one time. That was it. So when the day was over, I was like, great, we did it. But when people were leaving, they were like, when's the next one? And I said, oh, next month. We do these once a month. What? No, what? What are you (laughs) talking? No, you don't. No, you don't. Um, But that's how it started. And so I think what was happening was something that I needed. I realized that my community needed to. And that's how we grew out outside of apartment. And then we were doing pop-ups all over the city And then one day I said to my friends, I said, I think we should do a conference. And they were like, girl, what? We have full-time jobs. What do you And I was like, I know, I know, but I think we could do it. I I and I only think we can do it because I don't see it in the world. I really think we could do it. And so, you know, with the like momentum of people that are a little bit naive, you know, in what it takes to throw a conference. You you need a little bit of naivete that a- that adds a little bit of razzle dazzle. Um, because I had no idea. So to look and see how quickly we've grown, um, yeah, it's just it's meant the world to me. I think,
1: and that naivete is part of that romanticism that you mentioned, and because it is a romantic sort of innocent notion that you're like, I'm just gonna bring people together. I want to hear like some of the specifics of because you're because you're a um, a publicist you have experience throwing events putting things together that's the thing about being a publicist and in communications you really have the ability without sometimes realizing how vast your skill set is to do to produce things and to figure things out and look to the next step and that's one of the things I think John and I talk about all the time is that as tough as the job is, it's so valuable and has helped me and my personal life connect the dots on certain things. Um, So how are you funding venue? Like what did you lose money? Did you ha- talk to us just about that initial part? And you're like, this was hard, but it was worth it. And I'm going to keep going.
2: Yes. Yeah, so You're you're so right. Being a publicist prepares you for literally everything because I knew how to tell a story and to convince other people that like what I thought was important could really be important. And so my only goal for the first culture con was just to not lose money like not i knew we weren't gonna make money but i was like let's not lose money but of course you're paying for things you know i'm coming out of pocket for things like you know our llc and things like that um that are important but i knew we had to start with the venue i said we gotta find a venue and i had a really great friend carol who worked at the samsung center And we were just at brunch and she was like, well, we do events at the Samsung center. Like I'm, and, and so she's like, if you put together a deck and you pitch what this thing is, because remember at the time it wasn't a thing, it was just like a, oh, we're gonna do a thing. We had no proof of concept, but I pulled together a deck um, with this notion of bringing, you know, diverse creatives together. And I presented it to her and she pushed it up the ladder and they said, okay, you can have this Sunday in October You could have it. And so that now we had a venue for free. And so now, you know, it was just reverse engineering. Okay, can I get food for free? Can I get liquor for free? Can I get flowers for free? And I just like, again, going back to, you know, the stakes were so high. And I'm it was just something was pulling me like, this is very important, you need to do it. And so I was sacrificing the Sunday brunches and I was begging people to believe that it mattered. And I was, you know, I remember the night before CultureCon, we, um, well, I guess fast forward a a month before CultureCon, I had a friend who was like, I work for Spike Lee. Like he'd be interested in something like this. And I was like, wait, like the, like, like Spike Lee? And he was like, yes. And so he got Spike Lee to come. And I said, you know what? Spike Lee's taking time out of his day. Let's create a Spike Lee room. It's a whole room dedicated to like all of the different, you know, contributions to culture. It'll have a scavenger hunt in there. But we didn't have a Spike Lee room budget. So me and my mom went to Michael's and we bought everything. And the night before CultureCon, I spray painted these huge white letters in gold. I probably have a little bit, I probably got like uh, a little bit of like cuckoo going on because <laughs> in my apartment, I was like spray painting all these letters. And there's a picture I actually posted on Instagram the other day. And you can see it's me, little baby Imani. I have a box of Costco snacks, some spikely letters stacked, water. It just was very um, DIY. And I love it. I love it because um, to your point, I didn't have any money. Like it was all just about your community and this idea of people being willing to help for like a, a larger vision. So I think Issa Ray is the one who said like, look to your right and look to your left.
1: And that's how you can build things. I love that Issa quote and shout out to mama Alice that, I mean, moms hold us down, don't they? That's beautiful. Um, yes.
0: And, and money. what year was that? That that was the first, was that twenty? 2018, 17?
1: Yes, that was the first, in, the first one was
0: 2017.
1: 2017, wow. Yeah, And money. I have a, I, and I think John, this is part of, you know, you're so inspiring to us and part of the reason we wanted to do, obviously, Black on the Scene is for the, some of the same reasons and we want to be able to hear these stories from, um, you know, our community that inspires us and, and puts so much like love and and joy and purpose into the world. But as publicists, we are typically in the background. We are mm-hmm. meant to be not quoted in TMZ. We're meant to right. be not on red carpets, you know, styling and profiling. Talk to us about putting yourself in the forefront of CultureCon. And rightly so, was that challenging to you? How did you feel stepping out there, being so visible? I'd love to share if that was a challenge or I'd love for you to share if that was a challenge or not. You were a performer, so maybe not.
2: It definitely was a challenge. I think for the reasons you just listed, like as a publicist, exactly. Like I'm always wearing black. I'm always in the background. Um, It's just my nature to be observing and not being observed. And so, you know, for the first 2 to 3 years that the creative collective was founded, no one knew who started it. Uh and I loved it. I loved it. No one really they were like, oh, it's a bunch of people, it's nobody, like it was great. And but then I realized that I was kind of, you know, one of my friends said, "You're kind of doing a disservice because if people understood the story, I think that they could really connect with it more than them just thinking this has always existed." So, Um, yeah, I think, you know, it is a muscle that I'm still working through, but, um, I just, I just want people and I love this podcast for the very reason that, you know, to your point, there are so many exciting moments, but there's also like hard doubting moments too. And I think those stories need to be told that it is ebbs and flows. There are days when you're going to doubt yourself and, you know, I'll never forget you know, when we moved into DeGaulle, Brooklyn Navy Yard, it's the size of three football fields. And I thought, oh, I've done it now. It's over. It's over. I really thought, DD, I went home and I cried. I was like, it's over. And so to see that venue sold out, right, it just makes those doubts even more, you know, special because it just, it just shows you that we're just on a journey.
0: And as you look ahead on that journey, Imani, what do you feel like is next uh, for the Creative Collective and Culture Con, and for you? Like, what else do you want to to unpack and explore and touch and do more? Because you also are still so freaking young, and there's so so much. That there's still so much. I'm sure you want to do.
1: But even for that, I, I I would love for you to just share because as you're prepared to leave, you got your VP title you feel a great sense of accomplishment i'm sure talk to us about that pivot where you're like i reached this goal i'm now ready to pivot to something else how did you prepare mentally tangibly you stacked your coin you read some books you got a coach what are some of the tangible things that you did
2: yeah i definitely stacked my coin i'm i'm a big saver uh just after I blew it all on Claire's, I started to save. Um, so I'm a big saver. But, <laughs> you know, it was, it was really uncomfortable because I didn't want to leave. That's how I knew I had to was it was it was annoying, Didi. It was annoying because I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I had everything I wanted. I, I had the corner office. I had the title. I had a great team. Why was I still thinking about Culture Con? That's so annoying. And so I think for me, what I realized is it wasn't annoying. It was purpose. It was purpose. It kept pulling me and pulling me. And it was like, I'm not going to leave you alone until like you hear me. And so that's kind of what happened was the seed was planted. And it was like a ringing in my ear. So even when I tried to tell it to be quiet, it was like, for such a time as this, you got, you set out to do a goal, you've accomplished your goal, God said, I gave you your goal, I gave you what you asked for, and now, I'm not telling you to leave as a manager, I'm not telling you to leave as a, you got VP, you've been here for a year, it is time, and so I prayed about it, I talked to my friends and parents, agnosium about it, and um I just knew after BravoCon, you know, I had Bravo Con. wait, I had which one came first. I had Culture Con and then a week later I had Bravo Con and I knew after that last Bravo Con that that was like my love letter for the last 10 years of of my life. And so it just was time and I went into, you know, I went into it thinking not I went into it just bittersweet that I was leaving something I loved for something else that I loved.
1: And also knowing that you always have this skill set and, and if you wanted to, not that you will need to because we know it's it's a huge success, and I've had the honor and privilege of of bringing talent there and experiencing culture condensing all the amazing things that you all are doing in 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 multiple cities and so I guess back to John's question is tell us a secret. What's next? We just saw your amazing announcement for the year, but I suspect you've got some even bigger things planned. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I've been retraining my brain. That's what I've been doing the past three months is retraining my brain to limitless because I had only been operating from 50% capacity. Um, And there were limits there, right? Like there's only a finite amount of time to think of ideas. So we've got a lot of fun things planned. Um, I can't really disclose them yet, but- I I tried, I tried. (laughs) I definitely will disclose them soon. But I think at the heart of it, is providing these resources and spaces um, for our community in in, in an authentic way that isn't just so transactional. Um, So, yeah, and I have to give you both so much love because both of you individually and together, what you're doing for the culture and how you've been advocates for CultureCon, I remember just like begging, begging, and you both in so many different ways, you know, Deedee from bringing Jay Ellis and just blowing that out and John from the screenings that we did together from like caring about Culture Con and making sure we were a part of all of those press tours and not an afterthought and the exclusive we did with Jordan Peele like those moments are the moments that give us traction to keep having moments. And so I'm so thankful again to community because you all saw me when we were so small. And um I'm just so thankful for kind of the relationship that we've been able to build. So I just I, I would be remiss to not thank you for that because I do think I think a lot of times you know we praise the entrepreneur. But if it was not for the community that we're building with people who are at these really strong institutions. There would be no culture con. So thank
0: you. We all are doing the work. And I and again, I I, I love what CultureCon and what the Creative Collective stands for because again, as someone who who grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, who still navigates this industry and sometimes I'm the only one in the room. It's such it's such a beautiful experience to see so many other people so many other creatives and so many different other spaces and just unpacking that world um that you're doing so you know people are going to be talking about this for the next 20 30 40 50 years because of the impact it's 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 having and it will continue to have so Imani I personally say thank you to you for just being that brave and courageous and again that intention it, it that's like again I'm fearful of the dreams that I have. I get scared and keeps me up at night and it pokes me every day. But you, again, you were like, you know what? I got this. I'm going to do this. And you did it and you're doing it. And so I really appreciate that.
1: Thank you. Thank y'all both. Imani, you said something very interesting and I was just about to let you go, but I have to ask you this. You said you're training your brain to be limitless. And I'm curious to know, what exactly that means because you're right when you do have a corporate job or other things pulling you you're having to balance the job let's just let's also not forget that you're a beautiful young woman and you want a social life and you have friends and family so there's that aspect of it you want to keep yourself fit and lean like all the things that pull at us right how were you making time for that at culture when you were doing, when you were at NBC, but how are you making time for that now? Like tangibly?
2: Yeah, I, it, it got better over time. I was not making time for it in the beginning. Um It was like rest was something I would just, it was like the leftover time. That's what would get rest. But I started to realize as I got older, that rest was how I became creative again, how I recharged myself, like how I was the best version of myself. So towards the latter half of, like, my professional career, I created this, like, tradition where a month before CultureCon, I went on a week vacation. That was, like, unheard of in previous years. But I realized a month out, everything should be planned, right? At that point, you're just you know, fixing the fine print, but your plan should be in place. And so me being in Costa Rica for a month really shouldn't rattle things too much. And so that's what I started doing. That's a tradition. That's one of my favorite traditions is going on vacation before the event. Um, And then now it's just listening to my body. Like all days, productivity does not look the same. So today I was super productive, woke up. I'm like done with most of my work, probably by like three o'clock. But there are some days where I'm a little sluggish, it's just not going to be it. And so I just listen to to myself. And then from training my mind to be limitless, I'm just really learning to um, identify resistance, and then push past it. Like, don't resist me self, like push past it. And so what that looks like is it's like, ooh, I want to create this global thing. And the resistance is like, But you can't, you don't have enough time, you don't know enough people. And so training my brain to push past the resistance and say, but you could know the right people, you could make more time. And so I'm like training myself to think that way right now.
0: Imani, i I'm literally was like writing this down, like push past the resistance. Like literally, like seriously, I'm like typing notes.
1: Imani, the, the reason we paused is because I'm
0: like. Oh, I I legit have my notes up. My I notes have on my think I am guys, literally, I'm I like.
2: Thought, frozen? I thought the video glitched. I thought I was like, Hello. <laughs>
0: But that but that's the reason why we do this podcast, cause I, I would be lying to you if I didn't say like I literally walk away a new person every time I have a conversation with someone. And then it, it hits again with you, Imani, where like just your 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 narrative and your journey is just like wow. I'm like, why not do that? Why that? Like it's just it's like it opens my eyes up in a different way of just embracing who I am, embracing what I want to do in my dreams a little bit better. Same. And so like I literally have a a tab full of notes here of like quotes, like Imani said this, like Imani, like it is it is it is so beautiful, and I, I this has been. And I hate to say it, but I want to say it. One of my favorite conversations over the favorite. last four seasons. And yes. it was, it was, it was magical. I'm going to call it that. It was very enlightening, fun, honest. And I just, I, I, I I'm like, can we, we need to be like real friends. I need some yes. of your energy to come follow me. Yes, I will see you next. Yeah. We're going yeah, to get together. Yeah. Yes. I am totally doing that. Um, and I, we just, we love you, Imani, and you're just amazing. And we, you know, you, like you said, you have an advocate, you have a fan in us. We are going to support you. I have a call with Charisse next week to go over some stuff for this year. Like, we're going to make it happen, girl. We're making it happen. I'm working on my craft, Period. Yes. <laughs> thank, y'all. thank
2: y'all so much. I can't wait to see you both, IRL, and just to continue to like love on each other and like pour into each other. And thank you for creating this space where I can be honest and talk about the highs and the lows.
1: Well, we thank you. You are the brightest, brightest light with limitless, limitless love and possibility and energy and purpose and hope. And we see you. We honor you. And we're here to support you. We love you, Imani. Thank you. Love y'all.
0: Thank you.